We're back. Welcome to season six of the Iron Woman podcast. I'm Rosalie, and I want to tell you, I love to bike ride. It's my favorite daytime activity. And my nighttime favorite activity is playing piano. And I'm in the middle of all of that. I like to watch TV and play video games and stuff. Support us by supporting our sponsors, Crave Jerky, F2C Nutrition, Rudy Project, and Smashfest Queen. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Hi, Haley. Welcome back to another week. Hi, Alyssa. It's great to be back chatting with you. What do you have going on? Well, you know, honestly, not too much. I actually did a very fun activity this past weekend, though, that I'm like dying to tell you about. I haven't told you anything about it just so we can talk about it now. And I learned a new sport. Ooh. What, what sport is this? I'm very intrigued. I have so many ideas. So going into it, I didn't even know I would have called it a sport, but now that I have had my first experience, it is definitely a sport, the sport of orienteering. Oh, uh, I like it. Um, I can kind of see where this is going. So tell me more. So, well, to give you, I guess, more background of why I'm getting into orienteering to begin with. So I am not quite sure when I'm going to feel up for racing triathlon again, basically because I'm back into workouts again. I'm swim biking and running, but really it's only been a little over a month since I finished the long trail and my body's feeling good. Like I think recovery is in the right direction, but I can just tell my sleep's still a little off and things just also my times in the pool are a little slow still. And I still, I've run a couple miles now under eight minute miles, but even that was like a bit of a stretch. So it's just going to take me a while. I think before my body really returns to a level where I'm like, okay, I'm competitive enough to like enter a race. Right. So mentally I'm excited to race again, but I'm also feeling quite patient. Like the day is not this month. Right. So in the meantime, though, I had mentioned kind of some other goals I had after the FKT. And there are definitely some other FKT activities I want to partake in in the future. And some of these Haley sometimes include like, you have to come up with your own route. So on the long trail, that trail is marked with blazes. And it's for the most part, super easy to follow all the time. But sometimes when you want to do a route, it might be like, the fastest known time for summiting the five peaks over 4,000 feet in the state of like, you know, New Hampshire or something Montana. like that. Montana. Right. So <laughs> no, 5,000 feet, maybe yeah. that's not Montana. <laughs> Probably on the East coast if we're saying that. But so to do that though, then it leaves it up to the people who want to do it to make your own route. And so generally like some of the more popular ones, obviously there's kind of the fastest route people take, but sometimes, you know, there's still like a little leeway and, you know, maybe you go this way, maybe you go that way. Also weather, depending, you might need to know how to get yourself from point A to point B basically through the woods without a blaze trail to follow. So I'm sitting here like, man, some of these sound pretty fun to go after in the next like few years. Right. But, oh yeah, I don't know how to use a compass. So While I'm getting myself back in triathlon shape this fall, I'm using some of my time to pick up this skill of orienteering. And so I've entered an adventure race for November. And this is a great adventure race for me also because it doesn't involve mountain biking, which I don't do, which adventure races that don't involve mountain biking are hard to find. So it's basically just finding all the points in the woods and then checking into them and on foot, right? You travel on foot the whole time. So it's not even paddling, nothing. This is going to be super fun. But again, I didn't want to end up lost in the woods of Pennsylvania. I have to figure out how to use a compass. So I searched online. I went to Google and I looked up orienteering. And what do you know? It was meant to be Haley because there was like beginner orienteering day at Quantico Marine Group, Quantico Orienteering Club actually was putting this on this past weekend and you can take dogs. They have to remain on leashes. But so this is the perfect weekend activity for Ramona and I while we're not biking eight hours a day. And I admit that I thought I would show up and there would be like 10 people there with me. Right. And it would be 
a little bit weird. And Haley, the sport is amazing. So basically they give you a window of time. So you don't even have to be on time for the start. They say you can arrive anytime between 10 and 1, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. to start your own thing, right? So it's not like a everyone go at once type of start. So you can have your morning, get some training done, get some breakfast, and then head to the orienteering activity. And again, I was expecting it to be like crickets in this park. I drive in and I'm on the main road of this little park in Northern Virginia and people are just popping out of the woods right and left, Haley. Like, do like hundreds oh, of people? I mean, in the end, there was definitely at least a hundred people there. But as I was wow. driving the mile down the road to the parking lot, there was, I saw at least 10 teams of people popping in and out of the woods. And these teams though, it was like, a guy my age it was like 12 year old girls that were paired up it was a parent and like small children it was crazy just the wide range of people that were out in the woods at the park doing it and I got so excited and then I also was like oh no this is a sport and this is going to be way more competitive than I thought and I hope Ramona brought her running shoes today (laughs) so did you uh, you were going really fast is this I'm really curious because I I have owned an or like a compass and that if actually I got for a birthday when I was younger and because I had friends who did orienteering. And, um, so I never really properly learned how to use it, but I'm just curious about how it's set up and can you cheat with that many people out there? Can't you just see where they're going? So you probably could have, I checked in and then they gave me everything I needed. So I actually had a compass that I brought with me, but they would have given me that. And then they give you this little finger punch card. And if you know, I love little things like, like I love like little technology, technology things and things like this. So they give you this little thing that straps to your finger and it's like a little boop and you put it into each checkpoint as you find them. And then they give you a map. And since I had zero experience, they also gave me a little training session and walked me through this model course, which was very helpful. So again, find like a beginner situation if you are interested in this. And then they basically say start and you go off. And since I started towards the end of the window, they're definitely, you know, I don't know if you're there more on time, if there's more people going off when you are. And then I guess, sure, you could totally follow people, but people there was a couple people who started around when I did and the fun thing is like you look at the next point and you pick your own route there right so the guys that I started near they like to bushwhack through the woods whereas with Ramona that's like way more complicated and I know we could skedaddle on these trails like pretty quickly so I often was taking the trail route also because I was terrified of like really getting myself lost. So, and then we would both end up at the same place, you know, them taking the shorter route, me taking the longer route and moving faster. So by the end of it, I got up my courage to try using the compass actually, which is what it was there for and trying to direct myself through the woods. And I admit fully like, yeah, you see someone kind of standing by a stump and you're like, Oh, I bet they're probably standing by the next checkpoint. But it was great for me as a beginner to test the waters without really getting, I mean, the whole radius of the activity was probably two miles. So yeah, we kind of hiked about a 5k for 11 checkpoints and it took us 70 minutes, 69 minutes actually. And so I haven't looked at the full results yet though. I don't know where we stood overall in the competition of the day. Very cool. I'm excited to hear, hear more as you, you know, get more practice and improve your skills. I also have to ask, because when you first say, you know, orienteering, using a compass, one race comes to mind and that is the Barkley marathon. Is that on your radar? Can I ask this question? I know Haley, I think the first rule of the Barkley marathon is you can't talk about the Barkley marathon, right? You know, a lot of people actually, this is a mailbag question that had come in after my FKT. And I would have told you before that, that you know, I wasn't interested. And since then it has definitely grown on like the interest level has grown. So we'll leave it at that for now. There's obviously a lot to figure out. If anyone doesn't know anything about the Barkley marathons, there are some documentaries out there, both on Netflix and on YouTube. The ginger runner just made a good one that you could watch to get up to speed on that. But yeah, I think mum is the word for a lot of things around that, but we'll just say it's definitely interesting, but I do want to see how this adventure race goes. If I make it out of that alive in November before I consider anything more on that scale. Cool. Well, I won't get you in trouble and ask more about it, but it's kind of a cool idea. And I guess using a compass is a good skill to have even in daily life, probably, (laughs) you know, you never know. (laughs) So I, I, 
I actually got home and I ordered myself a thumb compass. So I'm going full on nerd with the orientation mode here. So I'll keep you guys posted. There's more training days I have scheduled over the next couple months. So I'll, I'll, don't worry, guys. You'll hear more about my orienteering adventures with Ramona. And Haley, what have you been up to this past week? So uh, kind of, well, training me and then also a lot of coaching. I had a lot of athletes racing, I guess this time of year. And so that's been fun. I was able to follow some of the races this weekend and see some of my athletes racing. I actually coach a pro male and he's, you know, 25 years old, Dylan Gillespie, and he raced in Santa Cruz and I was really pumped with his race and he was really excited. And that was as a coach to watch someone, you know, go through that transition from age grouper to pro you know, it's really cool because I think it was, you know, it was five or six years ago that I was doing that. So it wasn't so long ago, but it has been really, really fun to kind of watch him make that leap. And he he finished 13th in Santa Cruz with a really big PR and, but his swim and his bike, he came off the bike actually in fourth place, which was really cool. And his run is coming along. And so I'm, I'm excited for him. You know, it's fun to see young people coming into the sport and, just, they're so excited about the sport and it makes me happy for, you know, for the future of the sport as well. So, so that was kind of fun. It was kind of a bigger coaching weekend for me, I guess. Although I did, I did get out for, we've had a fantastic weather here. I feel like I've been saying that last couple of weeks, but it is, this is a nice time of year to be in Montana. And so I got outside quite a bit. And I think you had athletes at Ironman Wisconsin as well. And I know I got to see a lot of that coverage over the weekend. And we will give Lindsay Corbin a shout out for her win there. She's set a new course record. I mean, it looked just like a banner of a day. And is that what you could say? Banner, banner of a day, banner day. I don't know. Cracker of a day if we were down under, I think. (laughs) Sure. And then Jenny Hansen. Yeah. Jenny Hansen. Katie Morales. Yes randing out that podium. It was pretty cool. So, and I heard really great things that Madison came together to have the full event put on despite what they had faced the last couple of weeks, a lot of flooding and kind of lake levels were uncertain for a while. So really good job to that town. But I had no doubt that if any town could pull it off, Madison would do it. So it was sad to miss that one this year, but maybe in two years, I'll, I'll be back there. So Lindsay also got her Kona spot for 2019, which kicks off, I think, the new allocation system. So we'll have to keep our eye on those races as the spots are yes. now. You win, a, you win a race and you get to go as a pro now. So that's exciting. I believe in Wales, that was also a qualifier for 2019. Lucy Gossage won. Camilla Peterson was second. And I believe Lucy did not take her slot. And so Camilla received a slot for second place. And then uh, Nikki Bartlett, I think, was third there. And Heather Wartell came in fourth just one week after 70.3 Worlds. And that looks you have you raced in Wales? No, I think that's I feel like that's one of those courses I should do because it is kind of a strength suited course. But I've also seen videos and pictures of the sea that you swim in. And Haley, that sea looks I mean, the only word I could describe it as is like angry and like open water. Yeah, that's a tough, tough race. I think you got to you got to be tough to face that one. So but maybe one day I hear it's lovely. Yes. And. Wisconsin, which we mentioned before, was a pro women's only race. And we had a mailbag question that kind of came in about these single gendered races and how that relates to uh, elite qualification. If you are an age grouper athlete racing in a race that has a pro field that has only either a men's pro field or a women's pro field, can you still qualify for your pro card? So Marge sent this question in and Marge, we apologize for the delay, but you Oh, this answer to Haley, because Haley was digging around for you and got this answer out of USAT, because to be honest, this is a great question. And we actually didn't know ourselves what kind of the final word on that would be from USAT. So Haley's persistence absolutely paid off. She didn't even have to bribe anyone with cookies or sending them to get an answer. (laughs) So the answer is that it's any race. So whether there's a male pro field or a women's pro field with at least $20,000 in prize money. That's right, right, Haley? I believe that's right. Then as an amateur, if you are top three at that event, that qualifies you. That's one of the qualifications that you can hit to get your pro card. 
Yes. And so, yeah, this was a really great question. We didn't know the answer and immediately USAT did not know the answer. And this is, this is the answer coming from USA triathlon. So if you are an age group athlete in another country looking for pro qualification, I'd encourage you to reach out to your national governing body and ask USAT was actually surprised. I don't know if they necessarily realized that we had pro women only and pro men only Ironman races. So they kind of had to think about this, but they said that, yes, they will. Um, so if you are a woman racing Ironman Chattanooga coming up, which has only a pro men's field and you place top three amateurs, you will qualify for your pro license. And one really kind of interesting tidbit that came out of this was that, uh, the USAT USAT representative that I emailed with did say that, it's a USAT practice to uh, offer the same amount of prize money for both men and women at USAT sanctioned events. So that makes me extra thankful for USA triathlon that they, you know, keep that in line for any event happening in the U S you know, under USAT sanction happening, you know, in the United States, a triathlon will offer men and women equal prize money. Haley, we had another mailbag question come in from, I think, probably her name's Jackie. I know she's Jackie day 85. I think we got it via Instagram or something like that, but, um, she was asking us questions about how any tips for flying with our bikes. What do we do with our CO2 cartridges when we fly with our bikes? And do we like extra pad the bike? So nothing happens. Do we throw more things into the bike bag more than's provided? How do we, you know, do it? Obviously we fly with our bikes all the time. So what are our best tips? What about you? Yes. So I own a helium, a bike and helium bike case, which I've had really good luck with, um, as far as keeping my bike safe, it is like soft sided case, but it has kind of an internal frame in the bottom that keeps the bike in place. You do have to take the rear derailleur off. You do have to take the handlebars, you know, and turn them. And I have short legs, so I don't have to take my saddle off, but I definitely, so you do have to take things off. I do pad it up. I use elbow pads, which, um, a friend of mine is named Albo Dean and he invented elbow pads. I think you can actually get them online still, but they are reusable pads that you can, you know, just wrap around your bike, all the different tubes, um, that keep it a little bit more secure. I definitely take the CO2 cartridges out of my flat kit. You do not want to fly with those. You'll get flagged by TSA. You might not get on the plane. If you're in a foreign country, it will cause a lot of issues. So I just encourage you to not fly with CO2. Usually you can buy some at the expo once you get to the race. So that is a cost of, of traveling to a race. And then honestly, I, I put all my bike tools and everything in there. Um, if I can, I'll put, you know, wetsuit, I can get above 70 pounds fairly easy. I'll put food in there because, you know, extra food that I'm packing, if I'm going to a foreign country, um, I'll put that in there, but I can get above 70 pounds pretty easy. So I'm trying to keep it under 70, you know, so I put as much as I can in there. Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I use the rooster sports armored hen house, which, uh, I think, you know, airlines now have caught on to it a little bit, but I actually have the like camouflage print. And so it gets a lot less questions. And since that bag is separated into a wheel bag and a frame bag. So technically if you're like really tricky about it, it is, it does fly as luggage for me. I've, I've actually never been charged for it as a bike even. Um, and it's two big pieces of luggage and then I do my carry on. And so if I'm going somewhere, like, especially when I've done two week trips and stuff like that, I can't fit all my clothes into my carry on. So I absolutely am like by default padding my bag, uh, my bike bag and my wheel bag with all of my other things that I need to bring, whether it's my nutrition, my clothing, uh, my wetsuit, my swim toys, all of that stuff that I'm bringing along goes mostly into the bike bag rather than my carry on. Um, However, I did learn my lesson about that that year in Taiwan when that stuff didn't arrive. So now I kind of shuffle things around. So my carry on keeps the, the super important racing items, but definitely I would say more is better when you, in terms of padding your bicycle, even if you don't need to take off things like the derailleur and the derailleur hanger, I just would learn how to do it. I really think that's like a great thing to learn one for knowing some basic bike skills, but also that's like one of the first things I always know from athletes breaks in transit. And so carry a spare one of those first of all, but also just remove it and put it on. It's, it's pretty quick once you know how to do that. 
for CO2 cartridges, I am with Haley. I don't even chance it. I've heard all sorts of like tricks people try and use, but I think if you keep it in there, you're way more likely to have them open up your bike case and sort through everything and pull it all out and pack it improperly. And that's where a lot of things could go wrong. So I don't bring CO2 with me when I fly. I actually have a hand pump and I think it's a really good investment for anyone anyway. And it's just a super small thing I throw in there. And that way, if I have to ride before I get to an expo somewhere to buy a CO2 or two, I just carry the hand pump and you know, you won't be like totally stranded. You should be able to get yourself at least limped back to, back to wherever you're staying before you buy a CO2 or something like that. If it happened, I also have this really convenient, now that I think about it, full size travel pump that specialized makes. And it is, I also fly with that full size. Well, I have like all sorts of pump apparatuses, I guess when I fly, um, so that I can actually just fully pump. Cause when I, I've been in a foreign country before and their valves were different, I couldn't figure out anyone's floor pumps to get mine to the right race, like situation that I wanted. So that's, that's another little gear thing I have always used, but flying with a bike, it's always painful. I feel like the first few times, but then you learn and it's not nearly as bad as it is the first time I would say. I think it's super empowering. I think that once I learned how to pack and build and unpack and just all of that, I guess not in that order, but, um, pack, unpack, build (laughs) my own bike. I, I just realized I could go anywhere in the world and I could kind of take care of myself within reason. And I thought it was really empowering and just gave me a lot of confidence that, you know, that I can handle that. And yes, it's a lot of luggage to carry, but you just go slower to be honest. And, you know, and you just, you find the elevators and, or you use the carts and cart. It's the best $5 you'll ever spend if you just let yourself use the cart. That was one of the first lessons I had to learn. (laughs) Yeah, I know I did. When I upgraded to the the helium bag that has the wheels, that made a big difference too. Having a bag with wheels is really nice, but I think you just allow yourself extra time and, you know, and I don't know, you, we look, we run around the world in like our, you know, spandex anyway. So I don't think you have to worry about looking weird, having extra large luggage. I've had moments, Haley, where I tried to get all my luggage onto an elevator and I like couldn't make the trips in time and the door closed and my bike got sent up to a different floor. That was in Zurich. That was like, and it was just one of those things. I mean, I, I had to laugh, right? Like I, I mean, there was, I didn't know what floor it was going to. I, I was with some of my luggage. And so that kind of stuff, you just kind of have to know, like you're going to have terrible moments like that. And then, and some, some guy actually like brought it back down to me because you could see through, like he could see me below at least. And so that was, that was good, but don't panic. It'll always work out and just give yourself a lot of extra time. Yes. I was really nervous in Amsterdam taking the train with so much luggage and by myself. And it really wasn't as bad as I thought it was, would be, you know, I, I had this idea of like how I was going to do it and get everything moving really fast so that then it, it was not that hard at all. And I think too, when people see you, if you are by yourself, strangers actually come to the rescue, I think more than I ever expected people to. Like when I've had train situations, I've had people volunteer to help me and pull all the bags off so that I don't miss my stop and stuff like that. So you can totally do it. Let us know how it goes. And if you have other mailbag questions for us, you can send them anytime to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. All right. I hear we have some exciting news about the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit coming up this, I guess, end of November, beginning of December in Tucson, Arizona. It's coming up quick. Haley, have you been watching the list of speakers and panelists and everything else that's they, I feel like they've been adding such like heavy hitters to this on a daily basis. It's so exciting. So we have Stacey Sims, we have Meredith Kessler, who spoiler alert, keep listening to podcasts this month because she's coming on. We have Kirsten cinema who is running for a Senate seat right now in Arizona. That's correct. Right. Haley. Yes. She already, she's already in the U S house representatives and now she's running for the U S Senate seat. Pretty cool. Julie Moss and head who we've talked to on the podcast. Who else have we heard? Meredith Atwood swim bike mom. And then Hillary Biscay, your own coach, she's going to be on an entrepreneurial panel. So I think there's some really cool, you know, everything's really shaping up and it's going to be some very, you know, impressive resumes with the women at this summit. So I'm excited. And Haley, I had some questions actually when I was at women's camp in Tucson and actually, so the, the summit is in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was in Tucson, Arizona. I I don't know if we said Tucson, but 
the summit is in Tempe, Arizona, which is outside of Phoenix. And but the women in Tucson were asking me if they can go. You know, is it only for elite athletes or pros or anything like that? And this is absolutely for everyone. We want everyone to go. So if you are an age group athlete, you are definitely invited. We want everyone to go have meet everyone else with us. Um, I don't know a lot of these ladies, so we're going to be doing a lot of just interaction. There's networking events. There's so much to learn and it really is for everyone. Yes. So if you're interested, check out outspokensummit.com. And we also did, um, a couple months ago, we did do an interview with Sarah Gross and Lisa Ingerfield, who are the founders of the summit. So definitely check out that past podcast. If you would like more information that those dates again, the end of November, I think it's November 30th through December 2nd in Tempe, Arizona. And so Haley, we'll get onto our interview for the week. And on this week, we have Amber Ferreira, who I guess was kind of like tied to Montana for a little bit here, which was how, you know, she's obviously been on our radar for quite a while as a female pro, but recently did something really awesome close to Bozeman. Yes. I'm so excited about this interview because Amber was here in Bozeman or just an hour away at the road in Big Sky, Montana, running the Rut 50K, which I'll let Amber talk more about this race, but it is a race that fascinates me. It happens so close to home and I kind of know the terrain. And so I'm really, really excited to hear about, you know, what she thought of the race, but Amber is also a very accomplished iron woman, iron woman. She, uh, has been on multiple Ironman podiums and actually won the race in Lake Placid in 2014. And she's also interesting enough, the two-time U S national snowshoe champion. So she lives and trains year round in New Hampshire, big fan of both summer and winter sports. And we'll hear more from Amber right after the break. Crave jerky is back as an iron women podcast and live feisty sponsor. We love Crave Jerky because it is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, and contains all natural ingredients. Crave meat snacks are made with tender gourmet cuts of meat and crafted flavors with elevated yet simple ingredients. I personally love the sweet chipotle beef, black cherry barbecue pork, and chili lime beef flavors. But other favorites include lemon garlic turkey and garlic chili pepper beef. You can get some of your own Crave Jerky at CraveJerky.com and get 20% off when you use the code FEISTY20 at checkout. That's F-E-I-S-T-Y 20 at CraveJerky.com. Hi, Amber. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thanks for having me. So Amber, you were, you just got home from your race at the rut 50 K in big sky, Montana. Yep. So this race is a little bit personal for me, not because I've ever done it, but because I live very close. Um, big sky is about, you know, less than an hour away from Bozeman. And I know you're I, lucky. You're lucky. <laughs> it's beautiful, right? But I'm a, it's beautiful. amazed and terrified by this race because I've hiked up there. <laughs> And it's super scary. I have to admit that I've actually tried to hike the course or parts of the course twice. And I've turned around both times because I just got scared of the exposure. So for anyone yes. who isn't familiar with this race, can you tell us a little bit about it? And how was it? Yeah. So scary is like kind of an understatement. I was like terrified in some points. I was having like the time of my life, but I was also terrified. There are some steep uphill and downhill sections that are I mean, it's unsettingly steep, right? <laughs> There's yeah, nothing I, around. Yeah, there really is. And I thought I would be, I mean, I'm hiking all the time in New Hampshire, but we have, you know, we have the 4,000 4, footers, not the 14,000 footers. <laughs> so when you, when we got up to Lone Peak at over 11,000 feet and you could just see out for miles and especially you're looking down these these cliffs with these huge steep drop-offs it's really unsettling so it was a it was awesome it was probably one of the best foot races I have ever done but it was like I said terrifying in some spots where yeah. I had to keep saying like Amber get your shit together <laughs> and I'm like well everybody else is running along this two-foot running trail you know with this huge drop-off so might as well just keep going <laughs> 
<laughs> and for our listeners who aren't aren't familiar with the rut, it is a 31 mile race, and it starts at an ele- yeah. elevation of like 7,000 feet, and you do top out at the top yeah. of Lone Peak at 11,000 feet. And you finished 21st female in eight hours and 13 minutes. And that is, I tell myself, I'm like, maybe if there were more people around, if you could follow and see where they set their feet that, you know, that would make it better. But did you think the exposure was the hardest part? Was it the altitude? Um, was it, I mean, obviously you've done longer races. So the duration, how is, how is this compared to an Ironman? I, so I felt like I, I, in all honesty, the, I don't think the altitude hurt me that much. I mean, obviously it hurt me a little bit, right. Cause I'm not acclimated, but I think I was, I'm really fit right now. So I don't think that was my limiter in all honesty. I was in like third and fourth for a long time in the race. And I got passed by 17 girls on the downhill in the, in like the last 10 miles. And they, in all honesty, they have those girls that can run downhill have skills that I'll never have. <laughs> Was it, it the it's definitely a skill of the trail. Oh, it was definitely, it's definitely okay. the tech. It, it was so technical. And so I can run down, I mean, like paved trails. <laughs> I have turnover, but it was, this stuff was so technical and it's terrain. Like I'm not used to It's all this scree, but it's also moving. It's moving scree. So it's moving rocks, rocks that are not stable. Um, and really, really, really steep in part. So, and I then have- I also probably... Oh, what I was, was going to say, I have so much respect for you because I have, I've been up there and it is, it is one of those things, those, the downhills, that is what's so scary. That's a weird oh thing. Oh my God. And I love, yeah, it's, cr- I lost, I was looking at my Strava and like some of the, I mean, because the uphills, like I said, I was like in fourth for a long time. And then I just got destroyed on the downhills. Like some of the girls were going like 15 minutes a mile faster on the downhills, which is like nuts to me. <laughs> Like I lost 15 minutes in one mile. (laughs) So yeah, but I'm so, so glad I I'm, I'm going back next year. Actually, I'm going back next year, having done like more specific training now that I know exactly what the course is all about. I was going to say, are you going to find some technical descents to be practicing on before you go back? Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think like Ironman's like my main gig. So I didn't do, I did like a, I did three long, like 20 mile uh, trail runs, but that's like, I think I was a little undertrained for this one, which is not a bad thing, but yeah, it totally got me hooked on the sky running scene. And I'm definitely going to go back next year. <laughs> and Amber, you seem to be just a big fan of really hard races in general. Just a few weeks before yes, that, I am. <laughs> you finished third at Ironman 70.3 and you're going to have to help me out because I'm staring at this name of the place in Ireland where the, did you Dune Leary, Dune Leary. Okay. <laughs> Good thing I didn't. <laughs> yeah, know I know. That. I was pronouncing it wrong the first two days too. And, and like, oh. <laughs> all of the uh, locals were like, what? And then I would like show them. They're like, okay, yeah, no, it's Dune Leary. <laughs> okay. So you were third <laughs> there and the pictures that yeah. people were posting from that race course made it look like super, super beautiful, but also very challenging and it was very insane. cold. Yeah. <laughs> so do you purposely <laughs> speak out? Like, did you know that going into this one and know it would suit your strengths that you're better yes. at these hard races? Okay. Yes. Yes. And I, and I, um, I love the hard races. It was funny. I got back from Ireland and I'm like, wow, that bike course was insane. It was so European in a good way, you know, like twisty turny. And we just had like a really windy rainy day. So it made it even harder. And, um, and I just loved it. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm, it's going to be hard for me to find a harder race than that. And then of course I do the rut and I was like, okay, (laughs) that totally reset my like pain threshold slash this is what a hard course is. (laughs) It's funny how that happens. And I have to ask about two other events I've seen you do based on your Wikipedia page, because I Googled these and I couldn't find anything on the internet about them. And they are from back in the day. So you might like not even have any too much of a memory, but I am curious about what does it mean to be the bull moose champion and (laughs) what what was the Lord of the flies triathlon challenge? Oh, those were, so that's what I crave. I wish that Ironman could bring or just introduce some of the, some of this format. So the bull moose was a local triathlon in Guilford. What is it? It was a Guilford. No, it was Bristol, New Hampshire called moose man. So it was, it was just a Olympic on Saturday and a half iron on Sunday. And then you got a certain amount of points for like one, two, three, four, you know, top 10. 
Um, okay. And then the the two days combined, and then the the Black Fly Triathlon was a three day event, so it was a time trial. I think it was a, an Olympic and a sprint, so it's just fun. It's it's that it's that I like bike racing too. I've done like a lot of bike stage races, and I just I like the three day events because it brings into play like how well you recover and and I think I'm a durable athlete, so I'd love to. I'd love it if Ironman could do like two day events like that. (laughs) Wow. I tell myself a lot that it's only one day when I'm in a race, I'm like, it is only one day. (laughs) And tomorrow you get to sleep in and eat all day long. So yeah. Yeah. If they had the two day Ironman, I'm not sure I'd sign up for that one, but I'm curious about like how you can manage training for a 70.3 and a very technical 50 K trail race within weeks of each other. You mentioned, you know, you do skew toward triathlon because you are a professional triathlete and you call that your main gig, but do you worry about getting hurt in a race like the rut or even just, you know, training for those kind of races? So I, um, I was definitely, I think that's like one of my, was one of my limiters in the rut too. I was just nervous. I was like, eh, just enjoy yourself. And you know, the last 10 miles were so very technical. The last 15 miles were so very technical. I didn't want to like break an ankle or anything like that. And I think I have a lot of work to do in regards to like downhill running and and the skills needed for downhill running. But I find that being a well-rounded athlete and being sort of like a multi multi-sport athlete is helpful for my mind. It's helpful for, I mean, I live in New Hampshire, so it, you know, it snows like six months out of the year. So it's like, I have to get out and like, I'm not going to be in my trainer all winter. So I have to get out and like utilize the snow and snowshoe run and ski and winter hike. And I, I do think it makes me stronger overall. And I really do think it makes me like a tougher triathlete in a way, you know, so I, and then I go to Ireland and it's like raining and 50 and it's really not that bad. <laughs> and so is it that mental toughness? I guess my next question was actually right along those lines. So like, what do you think about racing Ironman that has made you good at ultra running and kind of, you know, I think you've already maybe answered the, the flip of that, what it is about ultra running that makes you a better Ironman. Yeah, I think probably um, a big um, limiter for for athletes racing Ironman and then racing ultras is the nutrition component. So I think having dialed my nutrition in over the course of an Ironman and like knowing I need this much salt, this you know these many fluids, and I can I can eat when it's like I can eat solid foods when it's below seventy, and I can't eat any solid foods when it's above seventy. I think that helps me a lot. Um, over the course of it. Cause I've done a, I did an ultra marathon in Iceland too. And it's just, it's helpful knowing that because that's a big part of endurance racing, right. Is the fueling. So, so that for sure has helped. And I also think that mentally I stay really, really fresh because I'm not always doing these like long Ironman training runs on the roads for this particular cycle, because I was also prepping for the rut. I was doing you know, maybe I would start with like a 10 mile run on the road and then I would go out and do like a 10 mile hike, uh, trail run. So it was really, it was great because I got like the best of both worlds. I got some speed and, but I also got like some specific trail running skills. So. And when you mentioned nutrition, do you follow those same guidelines when you're doing an ultra? I mean, is, are you eating the same things? If it's, you know, if it's above 70 degrees in an ultra, do you eat the same things that you would, if it was above 70 in an Ironman? So um, typically, yes, because I, well, for instance, for the, for the, I knew it was going to take me like around, I figured like seven thirty, but I was a little slower than that, like eight hours. So it was essentially like Ironman nutrition. I didn't really predict how the altitude would affect my ability to eat. And I couldn't really eat as much as I did, like for instance, on an Ironman bike leg. So luckily, like I had a backup plan and I carried like a a ton of extra infinite nutrition. So I, a lot of my fueling for the rut was like flu was, uh, uh, via fluids, um, which is, which in an Ironman, that would not be the case. I would try to get in some, some solids, but like I said, I think it was the altitude where I was just like, oof, I don't know if my heart rate is higher and I can't eat as much, but, but yeah, so typically I would try to follow my exact same plan in Ironman and then ultra running. And what about, 
the recovery. Like I know it hasn't been too long since the rut, but you also did the other ultra in um, Iceland. And what do you think about the recovery of running an ultra versus Ironman? And obviously, you know, depending on the distance, but let's keep it to like 50 K 50 mile versus Ironman recovery. Right. So I am because of that eccentric load of ultra running and especially with the rut where it's like really a true sky race and you have all that technical descending. I am struggling right now. (laughs) I just, I just don't have that specific eccentric loading or just not enough of it. Right. So I'm, I, uh, I've done like 62 Ironman between the half and and the full. And I feel like with a half, I can get back into training like in, in two days and a full, it takes me like, you know, four days, I'll give myself a week. But like, Right now I'm thinking I might take like another full week off. <laughs> so my quads are so sore. And so for, we know Which, you're um, a physical therapist, I believe, right? So for anyone out yep. there who's wondering what eccentric loading might be, can you put it in like layman's terms for like, it's the pounding on your quads, right? From that descending. Yeah. So it's have. like when a muscle eccentrically lengthens or sorry, when a muscle eccentric, eccentrically contracts, that's the lengthening of the muscle. And that's, where essentially we will get the most muscle fatigue or the most muscle breakdown. So when you run down a hill, that quad is eccentrically contracting, lengthening, and then we get a ton of breakdown. And we just don't get that. We obviously get it a little bit on the marathon, in an Ironman marathon, but it's not like we're running downhill for 15 miles, <laughs> right? So there's just, it's more significant in the, in the ultra running. The soreness is way worse, which I'm sure you experienced, right, with the it was the uh, long trail, right? With the long trail. Yeah. Right? Mostly with the training for the yeah. long trail. I think I was, you know, the pace ultimately for the actual run ended up being, you know, like hiking pace, but during all the training, I had yeah. to get a lot of that load on my legs so that I was able to kind of handle it during the actual run. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I could, I could, uh, I, I have I, actually, as soon as I got back from a few days ago, I was just like, I need to look up how to be a better technical descender and do a little bit more of that specific work. At least so I'm not as sore <laughs> after the next one. <laughs> so Amber, you mentioned living in New Hampshire where it is very cold for parts of the year. And while I also live in a cold area, I mostly retreat <laughs> to indoor training during the winter. But I'm really curious about how you seem to continue your outdoor adventures in the winter and you are yeah. the two-time u.s national snow <laughs> snowshoe champion and earlier this year yeah. you actually finished fourth and put yourself on the snowshoe national championship team for a fourth time so i'm really curious what does it mean to be on the snowshoe national championship team and how does snowshoeing fit into triathlon training should i be doing this you definitely should be doing this you're in a great area for it so in all honesty, I think I would have, um, this is my 12th year racing pro. And I probably would have quit way back if I had to like spend all winter indoors. So yeah. So the outdoor, I, I do feel like getting outside is mentally refreshing and the snowshoe running can really complement my triathlon training. Cause it's really, you're utilizing the same muscle pattern you are biking. So snowshoe running is like such a good workout for biking. Um, and it gets you outside. And then I also have like a, I have a fat bike too, which is like a bike that you can ride on snow with. So <laughs> it's done a I have done that. that too, I have done is, that. I've actually yes. done a little bit of snowshoeing, but it's hard. I don't think people realize how it's, hard snowshoe running is. I it's think it's so hard. hard. It's so hard, it, but it's also so efficient that if I go out and run like a 10 K on snowshoes, I'll say like every mile I run on the snowshoes is really like three road miles. So wow. Two or three road miles. Yeah. So it's, and it's, and way less pounding. You know, you're outside getting a little bit of vitamin D, fresh air. It's, yeah, it's, it's a ton of fun. And, and again, it's not like you're just like slaving away in the treadmill and getting stale. So, (laughs) and did you worry at all, like when you started to incorporate that kind of cross training into your season? Like, how did you know it was going to be okay, right? That you would stay fit and everything. Like, was it just kind of a gradual right. incorporation or like, where did you find the confidence to be like, you know what, to stay sane, I need to be outside and doing this. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> well, when we had, we had a, um, a winter season, I think it was like five years ago that it was just, I mean, it was nuts. We got so much snowfall that I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to embrace this and do all the winter sports. 
And I, so I did like, I remember it was like six weeks of like snowshoe running and like Nordic skiing. And then I did like one of my first ro- uh, runs on the road and I was flying. <laughs> it was like, and it was such a breakthrough year in regards to, to like run off the bike for me that I just immediately was like, it's the snowshoe running. <laughs> it's magical. <laughs> And are you working with a coach? I'm just curious to sit like, you know, if you could tell them, I want to start incorporating these sports, you know, most triathlon coaches obviously don't have a baseline for that knowledge, but a lot of the principles of training probably carry over. So did you work with someone on that and how did, you know, were they receptive to it as well? Yeah, my coach is, um, his name's Kurt Perman. He's from, he's New England, he's from Maine. So he gets it too. I mean, they get a ton of snow up in Maine too, so. I think, yeah, and he, and he snowshoed a bunch too. He's familiar with it. So I think he was all for it too. He's just, he more so is wanting me to not race as much in the winter, like take a proper off season in regards to shutting it down race wise, but he's all for kind of like mix, mixing it up and not getting stale and definitely not like riding the trainer and running on the treadmill all season. I mean, we have some beautiful terrain out here as do you guys, but I like to use it. <laughs> I do want to continue with the theme of incredibly hard races. And I want to ask about your love of racing up Mount Washington. So if yes. our listeners aren't aware, Mount Washington, it's in New Hampshire and it's the highest peak in the Northeast or Eastern United States, um, it reaches just above 6,000 feet. And it's best known for being extremely cold and extremely windy. And, um, mm-hmm. I think there is a road to the top, but it's really steep. So, and despite all that, right. you've raced up Mount Washington running, road biking, and fat biking. So can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that and what, why, why you love Mount Washington and what makes that race or the series of races there so special? So Mount Washington's awesome. So anything, anything, um, any uphill race, I'm like all in for, I think I'm, I just have like a pretty good engine and I like to suffer. (laughs) Like I said, I don't have like a ton of downhill running skills. So going uphill, you don't need a lot of skill. You just got to push hard, but it's the, the auto road itself is absolutely beautiful. And I've lucked out the last three years biking up it and, and, um, run racing up it. I've had these like gorgeous bluebird days and the auto road is switchbacky. So you just get a beautiful, a view of the mountain, the surrounding mountains. Um, and it's a really unique race too, because maybe you start in like 70 degrees, 75, it could actually be hotter because the run races in June and the bike races in August at the base. And then you can climb through different weather systems. This particular year, it was like four in the forties at the, at the summit. So I just think it's a really unique race. And like I said, I, I love going hard uphill. <laughs> what was it like fat biking up that? Because like you were saying, the like, fat so biking, like, so yeah, the fat biking was, oh, it was so, it was so, so hard. Um, I didn't even predict how hard it would be because the, and I, I actually didn't predict that the snow quality would affect how hard it was. So it was like a little mashed potatoey. So I was like constantly kind of like slipping out, which just makes it really slow going. Plus, you know, the fat bike is significantly heavier <laughs> than a road bike. So you're lugging your body weight up, the fat bike up, and then you're like constantly kind of spinning out and trying to get traction. So yeah, I mean, I'd do it again. It was <laughs> like, how long does that take the fat bike up? And then how do you get down? You actually, so the only time they let you bike down is in the winter on the fat bike, which was so fun. <laughs> it was so fun. Yeah, the, 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 the cycle race, the traditional cycle race and the run race, you have to coordinate having a, a, a car bring you down, bus bring you down. So <laughs> I would highly suggest the race to anyone in the Northeast and then anyone that wants to travel to New Hampshire. It's, it's a great one. Amber, at the end of 2017 and the beginning of 2018, you took an extended break from racing and even training as you recovered from adrenal fatigue. How did you realize you needed that break and what was it like and how have you kind of monitored your return to exercise and racing? So I, yeah. So in the beginning of 2017, I knew something was like a little off. I just felt like it was, it was a hard feeling to explain, but essentially it was like I had the flu. So I was still like operating, but just like everything feels achy. Whenever I tried to like push in a training session, in all honesty, I just felt like I wanted to like take a nap and sleep. And I was feeling a little depressed and off, which is totally unlike me. 
And then I had a really just tough race at Ironman Louisville. And I was thinking like, what, you know, what is going on? So I followed up with a doctor and yeah, we just discovered this stage three adrenal fatigue and it was just, everything was out of control. Like hormones were way off. My iron was like bottomed out. Lots of odd things. Like I had like no calcium, B vitamins. So, I mean, essentially like my body needed a rest and I took almost four months completely off, which was really hard because I'm like, wow, what's going to happen after this amount of time? And then how do I get back to the, how do I gradually incorporate the swim bike run in a way that I don't dig myself into a hole again? So, but I just had to sort of trust the process, you know, and I knew how long it took me to sort of like, you know, get close to the top. And I wanted to put the effort I did into training into into recovering. So I really didn't want to like mess around with the recovering. I didn't want to say like, Oh, I'm just going to take the time off, but be sneaky in workouts. Like I took four months completely off and I wasn't really taking any supplements. I just, so I started taking like a multivitamin and an iron really just really simple stuff, slept a lot. And then slowly started to incorporate some swimming, some flexibility and strength work. And then I've, I've, in all honesty, I've kept my volume relatively low this year. I haven't done, I haven't even tried to train for any full Ironman. So, you know, relatively low. It's like I topped out at 20 hours a week, which is, I think, low for Ironman training, high for half Ironman training. But I only did that a couple of times this week, uh, this year. So I really kept like a relatively low volume training load. And then I took, if any signs of like extra fatigue here and there, I would take like an extra day off or two a week. And then I would make sure that if I race, like I raced Barcelona, Montremblant, you know, the rut, and then Ireland, I made sure I went into it really, really fresh, went into those races really fresh and then made sure I, I came out of them and wasn't like greedy with my training and wanted to jump back into training. I made sure I took off a bunch of time after too. So I think I'm, I think I'm well out of it, hopefully. So we'll see. It's kind of a slippery slope, right? you the blood work looks pretty good right now, but I just don't want to like dig another hole. So how often are you, are you getting blood work checked? I mean, is, I'm assuming that's originally how you figured this out with your doctor. Yeah. And I, I was originally getting it checked like every four weeks and I should go back in for another check, um, in another couple of weeks, but I've spaced it out a little bit more just because I, I'm feeling a lot better. I mean, I'm, I'm racing well and I, have, you know, I wake up with like fully energized. I don't feel like I'm gonna, I feel like I can really dig deeply in workouts and really dig deeply in races. And that's the, that's the other thing too, which I know I'm, I know I'm heading in the right direction because that, I mean, that's how you know you're healthy, right? It's like, you can really kind of hurt yourself in a good way, if that makes sense and really dig deep. So yeah, yeah, it was a process though. <laughs> Since you have raced so many races all over the world, I'm really curious if you have a favorite. That would be so hard to just nail down one because I definitely, like I mentioned before, I love the challenging courses, but like when I went to Barcelona this year with my sister, it was just me and my sister and it was so much fun. It was so much fun. And I think we just had like good sister bonding time, but I loved like Ironman, the Dune Leary 70.3 was probably like one of the most rugged 70.3 courses I've done. So I loved it for that. Yeah. And then most recently the, the rut, I mean, I didn't obviously didn't place very well, but it was just such an experience. And like I said, that it re kind of reset my pain threshold. So I really appreciate it for that. It's just, yeah, sorry. I can't really nail down one. There's just every race comes with its own little experience and, and journey. So I think you appreciate, I can appreciate like 10 off the top of my head. <laughs> and Amber, I touched on this a little bit before by letting our listeners know that you are a physical therapist and you are balancing working with your training. And many of our listeners are amateur athletes who are working full time and trying to balance their own training. So they love to hear from the pros, any tips that you might have that you've discovered as you've been trying to balance everything and and make sure that training stays consistent and gets done. Right. And I think, so I, um, right. I, like you said, I work as a PT and I also coach 22 athletes. So I, I coach, I work as a PT and then uh, do quite a bit of racing. And I think what helps for me is I look at my training schedule for the week on Sunday and I make sure that like I either write in on a whiteboard. So it's like right in front of my face and like every 
single 30 minute of the day is like is blocked off. So I think I'm really efficient at utilizing my time. And I think reviewing what I have to do for the week, you know, beforehand is really helpful too, because then if anything kind of pops up, I can be like, okay, I can shift this workout or, you know, I can deal with this later. And that's really helpful for for me is like having it on the whiteboard or just like simply writing it down, like in journal and being like, okay, Monday I'm getting up at five and I'm doing my swim, you know, and then you just kind of go through the day. And like I said, I, I try to like utilize every 30 minute of the day, 30 minute block of the day. I'm pretty efficient. That's impressive. (laughs) I'm very impressed. I I might need to get myself a whiteboard. Um, Reading, I have read They're through great. your blog and your Instagram posts and you seem like you, you thrive on like mantras and just like, yes. you know, different ways of thinking. Can you, can you share any of your favorites? So I like the mantra be brave because it can mean a lot of things, you know? And I think that in racing sometimes when a race is not going your way per se, I think it's important to just be like, be brave and like race with all your heart and whatever happens on the day happens. Um, Also be brave can be like for this crazy rut race I did, I really almost got vertigo in some places, not to be dramatic. (laughs) So I had to just kind of keep repeating that to myself at all. So that's one of the mantras I use a lot uh, for sure. And Amber, we have to ask, do you have plans for the rest of the season here? What's next for you? And where can our listeners, where's the best place for them to follow you? So definitely. So actually the rut motivated me so much that I got like the last spot for the Vermont 50K, So, <laughs> which is in three weeks, which I have a little bit of run fitness right now. So I'm like, I'm just going to use up this run fitness, do another 50K, and then I'm actually going to I'm going to race the Indian Wells 70.3 in California in December. And I'm actually taking a bunch of my athletes too. So we'll have a fun group down there. And then I'm going to shut it, shut it down for a little bit. And I actually, I just, I might go to uh, snowshoe world in January, but, but in all honesty, snowshoe racing for me is just totally like a, a fun thing. There's like no stress, no pressure. And if um, I do have a blog, it's amberferrer.blogspot.com and then an Instagram account and use Facebook sometimes too. So (laughs) we will make sure we link to all of your social media platforms on our show notes so that our listeners can follow along with all of your adventures, because I, I mean, just going through all of these, it's like, what hasn't she done? And if it, if you haven't done anything, I'm pretty sure you're going to get to it pretty soon. <laughs> It'll be on the whiteboard before we know it, but um, yeah, Amber, exactly. thank, you, thank you so much for, you know, for scheduling us into your time. And I am, you know, hope you recover well and good luck in Vermont. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was fun. So after the interview, we did a quick Iron Women poll of our organization skills. And surprisingly, Sarah actually won. But Haley, did you check out what was at the top of Sarah's whiteboard that she showed us? I did. Sarah actually does have whiteboards and she does try to schedule everything. But her most recent whiteboard calendar was for March. So I think uh, around here, we we aren't quite as organized as Amber Ferreira, but we aspire, right? Exactly. And... We are super, super impressed just with the breath. (laughs) Amber's very talented. She can do a wide variety of events, and we are very impressed with that. Just being able to do fat biking, win a fat biking race, a snowshoe race, come in third and a half Ironman, and then 21st at one of the hardest ultras I've ever seen is, is quite impressive, to say the least. So... Um, we'll, we'll be excited to follow along with Amber and, you know, see what's, what's up with her for the rest of her, uh, the year and everything. Cause man, she, she can find some adventures. All right, Haley. Well, we just should remind our listeners to that Crave Jerky is back this season with sponsorship for Iron Women and Live Feisty. And you can get your 20% off of the Crave Jerky items that you love with the code IRONWOMEN at cravejerky.com. And another reminder for people, if you have mailbag questions for us, to send them to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And also take a second, if you can, this week, guys, and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you are listening on it. Subscribe. 
And that way we'll just be in your feeds every week. No problem. Yes. And feel free to leave us a review and read us. I know that that does help. People ask me if it helps if you do that on iTunes and the other platforms and it does help. And we do read them and we love your feedback. So thanks for listening. And Alyssa, I'll talk to you next week. Bye Haley. This is a special song. It's me and my friend's song that we made ourselves. This song is called Here I Am, Get Ready for the Chorus. I am here, now you cannot take me. I will stand up this whole entire time. I am strong, now you cannot beat me. I will stand up because I am here. The Iron Woman Podcast is a live, feisty media production. Our hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chara, and our awesome editors, Aaron Hamilton. Thanks again to our sponsors, Crave Jerky, FTC Nutrition, Rudy Project, and Smash Fest Queen. Queen!